and gentlemen, welcome to the Guns in Radio podcast. And now, give it up for your hosts, Chris Caputo and Dustin Bones. Howdy. Welcome to the Guns and Radio podcast. Uh, I'm Dustin Bones. Caputo would normally be here with me uh, doing the show. And he'll be joining us in just a little bit. Uh, but before uh, before he gets here, we're gonna go ahead and we're just gonna we're gonna get started right off the bat. We're not even gonna screw around this week, so that's something that you know you should be happy for. Like usually we do. So our guest this week, please welcome Mike Viscara. Let's give a hand of applause. Thanks. Should be. Thanks for having. Should be a legendary guitarist, man. A legend in his own right. I'll say that much. Anyway, uh, where you where are you at, man? Looks like you're traveling right now. I'm, I'm currently down at the lake, Lake of the Ozarks, just hanging out in my uh, my art my recreational vehicle, and nice. uh, you know, got a lot of gigs this summer down here at the lake, so it's just easier to get back and forth instead of up in Columbia driving an hour and a half each way. Just move the trailer oh, yeah. down and hang out and uh, lounge and and play on the weekends. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. What do you do during the day when you're hanging out? Do you just whatever you want? <laughs> Watch a lot of TV, still play some guitar, uh, take care of my dogs, you know, hang out with the wife. We go to the pool. They got they got a nice pool, nice setup here. We go to the pool, just hang out. Well, that's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, it's um, not bad. Well, while we're talking about, before we get too far in, right here at the beginning, I want to plug your show coming up uh, at the Blue Note, uh, coming up. I forgot the date. August Damn. 14th. August 14th. That's uh, the week before my birthday, so that's how I'm remembering. I got it in my calendar. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is going to be perhaps the final JCDC or Guns and Ain't Roses yeah. show. I, you know, I, I hope it's not, but uh, it, it'll be the last one for me, unfortunately, because I am I am moving out of state. Uh, we're taking off for the East Coast here in a, in a few months, so that is the last gig. But uh, I think it's going to be a good one. Promises to be a real good one. Well, I really hope uh, I really hope that you have a uh, you have a good time. That's the main thing, and you have fun with it. All right, hey, here he is. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Hey, there we got the whole gang together. There he is. <laughs> All right. Well, Caputo, good news, you Jay. You haven't missed much. We're just getting started. So. Oh, perfect timing. I, I yeah. come fashionably late. That's I guess that's gonna be my new gimmick on the show now. Maybe you know, it's like a hundred something fucking episodes, but we're there. <laughs> You're just gonna have me sitting here and, and boring the people to death for the first three minutes by myself. <laughs> Get like your terrible stand-up shtick, like your um, <laughs> like Arthur Fleck from Joker over there. <laughs> I'll do it, man. Don't tempt me. Uh, but the show that's coming up is uh, the Shags and Trevor Birthday Bash, and you guys played that the last time. I had a really good time. Yep. Uh, so uh, did they? Did they? Were they just like, man, it was such a good time last time. We're just gonna do it, do it again. And oh, uh, you're muted, man. I can't hear you. Somebody tried to call me, but I I declined it. You still got me? Oh yeah, I still got you. We're good. Um. Yeah. We we played actually. This is our. Th- Third or fourth time playing. Last year, of course, the the, uh, the it was canceled because COVID. But the yeah. year before we played, you were there for that one. That was the first one for Guns N' Roses. We played the ACDC one the year, I think it was a year before that even. So 
it, yeah, we played it three or four times, and uh, it's o- it's always a good time. You know, Shags and Trevor. That, that's it. I think because it was canceled last year, it's it's going to be really good this year. Even bigger. I think so. Hopefully. Uh, who's the other band, the ZZ Top band that's coming in? We, you, you know, Byron Neighbors. He he does Interstellar Overdrive, and he he and his band Mercury Trio. They they usually do sort of tribute acts uh, once, maybe twice a year, depending on on what's going on. But he's always in uh, Interstellar, and he's he's the behind the, him and his buddies are behind the uh, ZZ Top one. Okay. And, and Byron always puts on a great show. He he he's a talented dude. I mean, from making guitar amps pedals. Uh, he does sound. He does our sound for our other bands, and then he and then he fronts a lot of these these projects. And he, he's phenomenal. He had a U two show. I don't know if you saw that one. He's done the Police. He's doing an Eagle. I'll plug his his show next uh, next weekend, Friday, the thirty first of July at Rose Music Hall. He's doing a uh, Eagles Eagles tribute act. So uh, uh, cool. definitely worth yeah, definitely worth checking out. He he always puts on a great show. He gets the talented folks and. Uh, Anyway, he's he's also doing the ZZ Top one. Um, I, I don't even, even know the order right now at on the Blue Note on the August August fourteenth. I, I don't know. I know that ACDC and the Guns N' Roses always play, you know, back to back, just because we're we're. It's not a secret. It most of the same. It's mostly the same people. Yeah, <laughs> You're probably aware. Yeah, I think Chuck. I think Chuck spilled the beans on that on there. Chuck's uh, only was... we swap out lead singers, but everybody else just puts on a different uh, costume and then. Uh, assumes that role so um you've got a lot of talent when it comes to some of these some of these riffs especially with uh the gnr stuff that i know some of this stuff can be really hard to put down so how long has it been how how long have you been playing the guitar well i got my first guitar when i was probably eight or nine years old and it was one of those deals where uh the, the, the hot babysitter, uh, who was probably, you know, she seemed like an older woman at the time. She's probably 16 because I was eight. Uh, she came <laughs> to babysit my brother. And, my and she had this this guitar, which I'd never seen, you know, I'd never seen her touch the guitar before. And, and I was interested in that and her. And uh, so she's, she's kind of playing. And she says, hey, you want to give it a try? I said, sure. So she saw me some chords. I think I think it was uh, uh, Get By With A Little Help From My Friends by The Beatles. It was the very first song I was playing on the on the guitar. And I, and I, you know, I just took to it. I, I, it felt really cool, very comfortable, and I, I just from then on I was hooked. I begged my parents for a guitar after that, and and they were pretty, uh, pretty helpful. They 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 delivered. You know, they got me a guitar within a what seemed like an eternity. It was probably a couple months, but uh, <laughs> and, then, and then I had to go electric because you know the electric guitar was where it was at. You know, so I got a cheap, a real cheap. My dad was in Vietnam at the time, but he ordered via the catalog for the first five or six years. And I even formed my first band with that so i was actually starting to play bands in like ninth grade so oh, by wow. the time was that like six years i guess later i was 14 and uh started my first band and then i've had a band almost non-stop since then now i will say this my, my dad was in the air force so we uh, uh we lived overseas quite a bit this is in the in the country of panama don't know if you've ever been or know where it is but panama central america there was a sliver right at the very center it called canal zone you know where they cut the canal into uh, the panama canal well, yeah. there are there are tons of Americans down there ever since Teddy Roosevelt in 1900 when he started this whole thing. So there's a lot of military down there. There's a lot of Americans that live there permanently because of the canal. So it was like this little slice of America 
in this foreign country in Central America. And all these kids, I mean, it was a huge high school. But it was like it was like being on the set of Greece. I mean, it was literally like America. You know, it's classic America. <laughs> this is back in the seventies too. I, I went to high school in 77, 78, 79. and uh, it, it was just a blast. But but we had, I guess you could say, a captured audience because again, we were Americans. There there was a pretty healthy population of Americans in the canal zone, but we we ruled. We had this uh, older dr- drummer who came up with the idea. Hey, look. Let's rent instead of just having a party, uh, and we're gonna rent out a, a place. So we rented out the American Legion for like thirty bucks, and we charge a dollar a head. And it sounds like you know nice. dollar a head. So we get like five, we get five or six hundred people, five or six hundred kids come to these parties from our high school. We put flyers out, you know, the day before, and and I mean five or six hundred bucks back in the, in the late seventies is, is like thousands. You know, it's like a couple thousand today. So oh, I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, somewhere in there. Like sixteen years old, you know, making four, five hundred bucks and, and a night <laughs> playing with my, you know, playing in front of my friends and stuff, and it was awesome. great. Um, after three years, we come back to the states, and we're we're expecting. I'm starting college at this point. I'm like, hey, should I go? To, should I pursue music full time? Should I go to college? Well, I said it can't hurt to start college, and I'll keep playing music. Well, that's where things sort of took a turn. It's like it, it wasn't the same when we when we got back to the U.S. We were, we were just another band and not even doing that great, right? And at this point, uh, I'm like, eh, I, I can't see myself being you know, where I'm in reality, where I'm at today. You know, almost, uh, 60 years old playing in a smoky bar. I didn't want to see myself there when I was. And I said, I'm going oh, yeah. to go ahead and finish my college and do something else. And and we talked about what, what I ended up doing. But, uh, you know, I, I went into the, the I, wanted to, I wanted to fly aircraft. And that's that's basically what I pursued. Oh, yeah. I've got I definitely want to talk about that. You actually flew airplanes. Right. I was in naval aviation, which, again, a lot a lot of folks that don't know assume that's the Air Force because they think, well, the Air Force flies planes. But obviously, each each service has airplanes and, and actually each service has boats. Uh, Army actually has more boats and airplanes and air, aircraft, I should say, because theirs are mostly helicopters. Uh, but the Army has more more than anybody because it's just a much, much bigger service. But I joined uh, the Navy uh, just because I was sort of fascinated with the carrier aviation. It, that just seemed to me like it just so it was so cool, you know, seeing seeing planes take off of an aircraft carrier, you know, standing still. And in two seconds, you're, you're, you know, you're going 150 miles an hour flying off the end. And, uh, it just seemed like at the time in the eighties, if you, you, you weren't around yet, but, uh, you know, peace had broken out over with Vietnam being over in the, in the early seventies there, there wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot going on, but every once in a while there'd be a skirmish and it was typically F-14s off of some aircraft carrier, either in the Gulf of Sidra, you know, with Libya or somewhere in the Middle East that would be shooting down, you know, enemy aircraft. I'm thinking, well, shit, if we're going to see, if I'm going to see any kind of action, I, I should join the Navy. And I just thought, I, I found the Navy to be kind of fascinating. So I was, I was fortunate in that I got, uh, I got exactly what I wanted and what I asked for, which going in, if I had known the chances of me getting what I was asking for were probably slim. I mean, Think about it. It, it. This is actually before the movie Top Gun came out, but there was still everybody went and usually wanted to fly the fighters, you know, F-14s or F-4s or what have you. Now, after, after they get through the program, a lot of them sometimes change their mind. Some some don't meet certain grading uh, criteria to be able to get to those uh, aircraft. But at the in the end, it's it's a it's a small minority that to those particular aircraft. And and luckily for me, I was in that group and. Uh, and I, and once you're in, you're pretty much in, unless you totally unless you totally screw up. Luckily, I, I was in there. I was in the Navy for 30 years, and I flew the F-14 
for all, most of the time, and the only reason I had to stop was because they actually retired the airplane in 2006 because it was, you know, it was pretty old by then. It, it had been around since the early uh, 70s. So, you know, you figure 30, uh, 30 years or so. And um, so they retired it. And that's when I had to fly uh, a transition to the newer F-18, uh, which is, again, the F-18 aircraft have been around since the 80s. Uh, but the newer versions are still being made today. That's the last aircraft I flew in the Navy was that newer version of the F-18. Let me ask you this. You was talking about before the movie Top Gun came out. Of all the movies, which movie is the most accurate? Using Top Gun as the least least accurate because it was definitely ter- it was a <laughs> terrible movie. The flying things were awesome. I mean, it was so cool, and it did great, great things for the Navy and and for for us guys that were at Miramar where they, where they actually filmed it. Then the the officers' club went from this kind of sleepy divorcee, you know, thirty something club to this happening club with, with like college kids getting in line to get in. And it was, it was phenomenal. But anyway, that was probably the least accurate. I could, t- I could, you know, put those out, but I still enjoy watching it just for the, for the flying scenes. And it's just kind of fun to laugh at, but it, I'd say that the probably most, most accurate. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't on, on Juno beach, you know, and on D day or Omaha, but from what I understand from talking to, to world war two guys that uh, saving private Ryan, kind of best accurately portrayed you know what that was like now that whole story was fictitious about them trying to track down you know one private ryan guy but the bottom line is the backdrop the movie is based on you know the the taking of omaha or uh, normandy back and then you know taking of europe to end the war and from what i understand that that comes off and that, that like band of brothers you know on hbo those those i think are most mostly historically accurate uh and again history you know, it's 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 based on who writes it. Right. I mean, you know, again, what I what I found not to be a cynic as I get older. But but what I've seen was I used to trust blindly what we're told or taught in school. You know, it's, this is what happened. This is history. This isn't a history book. Well, that's just that's just, you know, what some person wrote in a history book. You know, I, I got <laughs> somebody who was there. And then even then, it's going to be their perspective. You know, I mean, it's like, well, yeah. I mean, two people could see things from two different perspectives and say, this is the way I saw it. And the other guy says, oh, but I saw it this way. And they're, and they're both accurate, but it's just, it depends on what you, where you're looking at it from. So, um, but anyway, that, that's... Social media, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, when you give it some sort of officiality by, oh, well, I, I read it online. It's got to be legit if it was online. <laughs> It was on the internet. It's got to be true, right? And I mean, I, I've seen you know reputations get ruined uh, just because you know it just takes a couple people to say something that's not necessarily true, but definitely not flattering, and uh, yeah. the person's career could be over. Uh, just yeah. being at the wrong place in the wrong time. Um, I, I knew a lot of Navy careers that ended. I, I was at the same. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Tailhook. Uh, it, it's an annual symposium of naval aviation. It happened in Vegas every year. I mean, we're talking since, you know, the, the 60s. And it, it's a very professional thing. During the day, they talk about the, you know, the, pr- the progress made and, on equipment and what's, where the big Navy's going for aviation. And at night, hey, guess what? You're in Vegas. People let their hair down. They'd have, you know, they'd have fun. And uh, with uh, 1991, there, there was an all-out assault, essentially. And, and they, fortunately, I mean, it shouldn't happen at all, but it happened to a, a naval officer, a female naval officer. Um, and of course she, she wasn't going to idly stand by and and be assaulted. So she, she basically reported to her boss who was happened to be an admiral. He was actually my very first commanding officer. And he unfortunately didn't take 
is, is, you know, aggressive, a response action. And basically at that point, things started, people's heads started rolling. If, if you were there in, in, in a position of leadership, even if you weren't, you know, guilt of doing anything, but if you were there, you would have gotten fired. I know, I know so many people whose careers got ended just because they happened to, I was there. Uh, obviously I wasn't in a, any kind of, I was a fairly junior officer at the time. I'd only been in seven or eight years, but, um, and I got interviewed too. I mean, uh-huh. we were all somewhat treated like like potential uh, perpetrators, and because I mean, there uh, yeah. was there was there was a lot of deba- I mean, there was a lot of debauchery that went on. And and honestly, personally, I I believe that it all happened. I didn't personally see any of it because you're talking about it was like a rock concert or like a, a mosh pit almost, right? I mean, it's that kind of crowd yeah. where you're walking through. You know, and in that day, I'm sure there was a lot of girls who who maybe their asses were grabbed that probably never said anything, probably didn't care for it much, but didn't say anything. Well. This this woman was basically no shit sexually assaulted, and uh, as she took, you know, she she responded, and and I'll tell you what, shit just it just rolled after that. I mean, major major policy changes uh, because of of that one incident. Back back before that, women were not authorized to fly in combat aircraft. Guess what? After that ninety one tailhook. The leadership of the Navy is like, oh, yeah, whatever you say, we'll do it now. Instead of putting up the fight that they had previously, they basically they basically caved. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I hell, I had I had women in my command when I was a commanding officer, and they were they were sharp. I mean, but there's always some growing pains because uh, when you when you implement change, there's always going to be some growing pains. And I'll tell you what, the, the first few women that went through, they didn't get treated the same as as you or me, okay, they, they kind of got called along and it was, uh, it, you know, it was kind of unfair. I think uh, you can argue, oh, well, they didn't have the same, you know, starting point because they're, they're women. But the point is they were basically pushed through the program. And I'm not saying it's that way today. I'm just saying. Well, that's, every- that's what I was about to say. You've got something brand new like that. They don't know what they're looking for because they don't know how to train these people yet. Yeah. Well, and that well, that's the thing though is they they always advertise. Well, the airplane doesn't know if you're a man or a woman flying it, and that's absolutely true. So in my mind, it's like, well, then there should if if the airplane doesn't know who's flying it, there shouldn't be any difference in the way. You know, <laughs> Why am I doing all these fucking push-ups? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, just this week, actually, the very first female went made it through SEAL training. Now she's not going to be a SEAL per se. They they could be uh, a support. Officer or a support person for the seals, but they have to go through the same uh, training, uh, the buds training, and it and it's hard. I mean, it's extremely difficult. You really got to want it. Well, the, they've had women try before and not get through. And don't get me wrong; it's not like every guy makes it through. A lot of a lot of guys don't make it through. They're a huge attrition rate. But anyway, they just recently had the very first uh, female that made it through successfully. Now, again, just with my background. Not to be a naysayer, I, I question: did, did she go through the same exact process and training, and and standards meet every standard that every other dude previously has? I I don't know for a fact. You know, I I'd love to have been there to see to see, but because again, having been there when the when the women started in the F fourteen business, I can tell you that it was not the same process. It was different. I asked you in the pre interview. 
and you started telling me a really good story. If there was ever a time when you had to eject, when you had to bail out. Yeah, the uh, you know the, the airplane is pretty sophisticated, and, and like any airplane, it's got it's got tons of systems. Backup, you know, got electrical system, hydraulic system, all kinds of things that that keep it flying. You know, fuel system. At any rate, I'll, every one of them has a backup to it, and maybe even a, a tertiary mode, of, you know, third backup. But uh, it, once you have a hydraulic problem, it's especially if you're losing hydraulic fluid, you essentially have limited time remaining to fly the airplane. So in, in our situation, it was get this plane on deck as soon as possible before it's not flyable. Because as soon as it, it runs out of enough hydraulic fluid, you can't control it. Sure enough, I was in the Tomcat, and... Uh, we, we get indications that we have a problem with our hydraulics. And so we immediately say, all right, well, let's get this thing on deck as fast as we can. And of course it's nighttime because only, you know, only the bad shit happens at <laughs> night when, when it's more difficult to do anything at night when you can't see that well. And uh, so we come back in, we were told, Hey, land at a, at a base where you're primarily flying your approach over water on the chance that, you know, you lose it. And that way if you crash, you don't take out houses, you know, below you, because that had actually happened uh, to a, a guy that, that was uh, a friend of my brother's. He, he tried to take a plane back to our home base uh, in Miramar, and it flew over, you know, some, some the city. And unfortunately, he lost all hydraulics. He crashes, and he takes out innocent people mm. on the ground. So the policy at that point was, hey, if you have any kind of hydraulic problem, you do this overwater approach at this other base, which, again, was right. It's, it's right near the Hotel Dell. I don't know if you know where that is in Coronado and San Diego. Um, but it's right next to that. And they have an overwater approach where you're almost overwater the whole time, except right at the end, you touch down and you're, you know, you're on land. So that's where we go in. And I'm, and, and I'm just waiting for this thing to stop flying. You know, again, we're getting low, getting low, and we're, we're almost there. And I'm just kind of waiting because if, if we if we felt like we're going to lose it, we, we we're going to eject um, immediately. Right. You know, you didn't have any time to think about it. And so sure enough, get in there and boom, touchdown. And with, all right, we're on the ground. Now, of course, we have no brakes because hydraulics run off brakes. So we have to lower the hook and, and land almost like we're on the aircraft carrier. But, but on land, you have it rolls out a lot further. And then we, we shut down right there because of fire hazard, because of hydraulic fluid everywhere and get out. And we look, we're walking around the plane and it has got just, it, it's like it was bleeding, you know, it was just covered in oh. hydraulic fluid is like a pinkish red color. And it was covered with hydraulic fluid everywhere. And the guys are, oh, you know, after the morning, the mechanics told me, they said, Hey, you, you, uh, you guys maybe had a minute at most, a minute left of flying time before that thing would have just not had any controllability and we would have had eject. So that, that was the closest I ever came to, uh, to an ejection. And, you know, it would, it would have been somewhat controlled. It wasn't like, you know, I, I've had friends who actually hit other, other airplanes doing a combat maneuvering. And of course, then it's a quick reaction. You got to do this, or that, um, this would have been fairly controlled, would have been pretty slow and unfortunately pretty low. I wouldn't have been that crazy ejecting that low to the ground, but our, our, our seats were actually rated to be able to go, from a, off the deck, like if you were sitting on the on the ground, you could pull the ejection seat, and that rocket would shoot you high enough to get a swing in your parachute, and you would survive. It, it was called a zero zero seat, where you could you could eject from the ground and still survive. Oh, I didn't think of that, but that's a very good point. That <laughs> never really occurred to me. This has been an interesting episode. There's a lot of things we've never had the opportunity. Yeah, to, oh, for to, sure discuss man there's a lot of things i've never heard about before yeah i mean besides just a couple little um technical difficulties <coughs> fuck you stream yard i know man <coughs> this is bullshit 
with all, what do you think about all of the uh, UFO footage and things that are coming out now being released for, by the military and the Air Force and things? I have no insight about UFOs, uh, you know, neither confirm nor deny. Now, I've never been involved with anything uh, regarding UFOs. I've never seen one. Um, you know, I've, I've seen the same stuff you've seen on the TV, but, you know, are you going to believe everything you see on TV? I don't know. I mean, yeah. um, I'm sure there's a program. Uh, in, in the military, but I, I was not read into that program, so I couldn't tell you anything about it. Well, I think what 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 interested me, what I think a lot of people don't realize is, uh, even I didn't know until we had the previous conversation, is how those clearances work. Like you get top secret clearance, that's 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 thing. But then you can't just walk into the library and say, "Give me the UFO files," and then they go, "Okay, here you go, boss." <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the, the, the need to know clearance is also uh, something that I don't think a lot of people, when they're making their internet conspiracy theories, take credit or take into consideration. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. I, and like I said, you, you wouldn't really know what to ask for in a lot of these cases. The programs, you know, that I did get read into primarily because I was flying a, the airplane that had, you know, maybe something that, that you had to know about. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I go in that and say hey tell me about what you know of uh, ufos and all that stuff so um again i know some some folks that that get read into programs because by accident like uh, they may have flown into a base on an emergency divert where they weren't scheduled to fly into that base but they did and because that base had a particular secret program and that there's a chance that these people having landed there now may have been exposed or seen it then they get read in and and of course, once they're read in, they're, they're you know they're sworn to secrecy, and that that even once you're out of the military, you, you know you're not you're not supposed to talk about these any particular program. Um, oh yeah, you, you, you sign your life away you. when you when you leave the military. Yeah, but uh, um. <laughs> and and you know that those clearances are worth money because it it takes quite a bit of money to to maintain your security clearance. They have to do all these checks on you. Uh, they they check your background. They interview all your friends and. And hopefully you didn't piss off somebody in your childhood that could screw you over. So, oh yeah, that guy he was a he was a risk taker, and he he shouldn't have been uh, given any kind oh. of authority or clearance. Oh, you know what else will affect these is is if you uh you know you're you're all base at antics. If you get a, a DUI, if you get uh, I never had oh. one, but if if you were to get a DUI or if it had some sort of illicit affair, these are kinds of things that get reported. Anything that somebody could. Um, used against you in a blackmail situation because Chinese and, and, and back in the day, Soviets would, would utilize, you know, they tried to exploit weaknesses and they would, they would, you probably heard about these, these uh, sugar pots or the, you know, they, they would hire these hot chicks to go and uh, you know, try to, to get in good with, a, with either a military guy or a politician. And, and it's for twofold. They're hoping to get access to, you know, the shit that he knows and, and best, best case Get him in a compromising position where now he's you could you essentially could blackmail him, you know, to where oh, he's, yeah, he's going to tell you because he, he doesn't want to tell his wife that he's, he's had an affair with this agent. That that happened again somewhat recently with a, some some idiot politician in California, I think it was, <laughs> but a Chinese uh, a Chinese woman he he was banging some Chinese woman. She turned oh, out to wow. be you know a spy. Uh, there's one more thing we want to go over. Uh, I want to talk ahead. about because. 
again, we were starting to talk in the uh, pre-interview, and there was a seemed like a really good story that could come of it. Were you active during nine eleven? <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, just preparing, I was actually becoming a squadron commander. I was the second guy in charge. In the Navy, it's a kind of a it's a it's a good system. You don't you don't come in as the commanding officer. You come in as the, the executive officer, with the idea being that after a year. The old commanding officer, he goes away, and then you become the new commanding officer. So you already kind of know the people and, you know, the, everything about the squadron. So I had just gotten to this squadron. It was a, a fighter squad, F-14 fighter squadron, and I, I was there as the executive officer. So I, I was going to be the CEO in a, in a year plus. And, I mean, we were only there maybe a month. I think we had only been on board in, since August. And uh, and I remember, you know, driving into work that morning. Uh, we, we were scheduled to deploy on September 19th. I mean, it was it was already on the books to, to deploy for for uh, probably a year, better a year then. Um, and uh, and I remember going in. The first thing I saw was you know on the TV they had hey the, the, just the first one had been hit. They said hey, they're not sure, but uh, you know if it's a terrorist attack because it's just you know, this plane flew into the building. And then shortly thereafter, of course, the second one hit, and they're like, well, obviously this is not a an accident. And then uh, and then you know then we're, then we're glued to the TV and we're watching it, and um, we fully anticipated getting deployed like immediately like you know within a day or so but they they didn't change it um we were on the uh, uss teddy roosevelt and uh so we deployed right on time just like we we uh were scheduled to on september 19th heading east sailing eastbound we went through the suez canal which is kind of a strange thing because you know here we just been hit uh, uh by a terrorist group and i'm thinking man there's nothing more vulnerable than a this you know huge aircraft carrier going you know four miles an hour through this tiny little ditch the suez canal in the middle of broad daylight and i mean and you know who was protecting us the the uh, egyptians right and i'm thinking yeah you know the air the arabs love us so i mean all it would have taken was a small little cessna full of dynamite to, to hit the uh, the island you know the the super the superstructure on the aircraft carrier that would have been enough to, to at least take us out for a month or two and I mean, they, everybody had to know what was going on. There, there's always aircraft carriers deployed. I mean, right now, as we speak, there's at least two out. Right um, at that time, there were already two out, and we were the third one going out. And whereas the other ones normally would have left when we got there, they were staying there because we knew that there was going to be, you know, retribution as they were kind of figuring out what's going on. So sure enough, we got there in October. So we're talking about, you know, the, the following month, and uh, and we we you know we joined in. They we. Uh, we became the night carrier. We, we flew all of our missions at night and uh, we, you know, we dropped, I, I saw every square inch of Afghanistan. Now, most of my missions actually end up being in the day because we take off at night, but there were sometimes eight hour missions where you uh, in-flight refuel multiple times. And uh, you know, you, you, you have your bombs, you, you got your, your missiles. Again, there was not any kind of real air to air threat. So we didn't have to worry too much about getting shot down. Um, but there, there was again, you know, it's a pretty big country. There, there's always shit that can go wrong as far as we talk about hydraulics. That was my biggest fear was having a, a maintenance malfunction inland because it wouldn't matter if you got shot down or if you had a, a maintenance problem and you, and you went down. They would, they would have claimed they shot you down and you would be a prisoner. You know, it, nonetheless, you'd be a prisoner, right? So yeah. um, those are my concerns. And, sure, and ironically, my very, very first mission in, in Afghanistan uh, the Air Force tanker, the Air, Air Force has the real big wing tankers, you know, like the, the airliners that, that are full of gas. And they help us out in the Navy. Uh, we, we have our own little car, uh, carrier aircraft that could 
transmit gas, but it's not nearly amounts. This is like a flying gas station. You know, you, you might have seen the, the footage of it, it's like I said, DC 10s or, or 707s full of fuel. Well, anyway, we, we, we get airborne. <laughs> we go do our mission. And we're, we're like really, we're hours, we're thousands of miles away from the aircraft carrier over in the middle of Afghanistan. And all of a sudden we get word that our tanker, the one we were going to go to to get gas, is, just had an engine, engine fire. And they had to obviously leave because of the engine fire. So now there's, there's, and there's not a backup. There's no gas airborne. So, you know, we can't hang out because we'll run out of gas. And at that point we assess, well, now we don't even have enough to get all the way back to the aircraft carrier. So we're the first ones to test the... Uh, the divert into the friendly country of Pakistan, which is, oh. uh, I don't know how familiar you are, you are with the geography, but you got your Indian Ocean, you know, mm-hmm. and then you fly, the first country that you, you'll fly over is Pakistan, and then you're in Afghanistan. Well, Pakistan officially was an ally and behind our, our actions, but uh, truth be told, the, the people were more aligned with, you know, the Afghanis and uh, the Taliban than, than they were, you know, officially their government was was with the u.s but that was about it because we uh you know we land there and again we don't know what you know we all we're told when we get airborne is like hey if you have an emergency you know you're going to crash if you run out of gas or if you have some kind of other major emergency you're going to crash and the only option is to land land at this base and and it's this one in pakistan jabala jalalabad is what it's called and uh so we we fly in there, and to so our surprise, there's a there's a little contingent of U.S. Marines. It felt kind of good to see you know some Marines there, but as soon as we land, they they they're way past like get out get out get out of the airplane real quick because you know the defense line isn't that far away, and they said they've had you know these these locals taking pot shots at at aviators as they get out of their airplanes because they're they're not fully supportive of the the war effort, and they see you know the U.S. airplanes, huh. so we we jump out of there and and then and then there's the interoperability because you know these are U.S. airplanes and we're at a base that doesn't necessarily have the equipment needed to give you gas and all this stuff, but fortunately we uh, we end up getting everything we need from there and and finally take off. And, uh, I mean, by the time I actually made it back to the aircraft carrier, it was probably over, it was a little over 24 hours from when I took off on that first, on that, so that first mission ended up being like almost 24 hours worth. Oh, and then, you know, so I'm thinking, oh, I got to get some, I got to get some sleep. And then they're like, oh man, you're on the schedule for the, you know, the, this, because obviously I was supposed to have been back eight hours per, before that. So they had to ch- change the schedule a little bit, but I mean, I was out the next day, but from then on, it got to be even more fluid like the very first target I had was given a you know a picture and it was like hey these are tanks at this specific location you're gonna tank farm and you know just to take out as many tanks as you can All right well that's you know cool um, after, after that first or second day basically you weren't given any kind of pictures or any kind of target they just basically yeah they just here here well you know you had to get authorization it's not like you just do whatever you want but they're like get airborne <laughs> check in with uh, you know the, the the big the big guy in the sky you know who who knows what's going on. And and they'll send you somewhere. And more often than not, we ask actually how we, we end up getting, you know, we bombs on helicopters, uh, troops, um, cave, you know, remember the caves? They thought uh, Osama bin Laden was hanging out in caves. We, we used to try oh, to, yeah. to close all the caves. That was kind of interesting, you know, because we're using laser-guided weapons. So we had really accurate control over, over where our bombs are going. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting missions. And I mean, I must've flown, I think 40 or more missions. We, our squadron in particular ended up being the high, uh, we dropped the more, the most bombs of any, uh, aircraft squadron in, in, the in the area. 
This is a fascinating topic for me, and I have a ton more questions that I really want to ask you. But for now, I'm going to have to close the book because we are. Parts are kind of Yeah, I'm cool. Knows. But uh, thanks again, Mike, for coming in. Everybody, Mike Scott from Guns N' Roses, JCDC, and probably a hundred other amazing bands. <laughs> Hell of a guitar player. Uh, we hope to see you next. I hope hope yeah, to see you. Know it. All right, dudes. Thanks hey, for thank you, you, man. All right, we'll, we'll see you. See you there, man. Bye. Be there. Oh yeah, I'm be gonna there, definitely guys. be at that. You'll uh, be there. I'll, I'll I'll be there in spirit, you know, or just just Facetime <laughs> me or something. I'll be there too. You want me to Facetime you and hold up the phone? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, I couldn't make it, but my best friend's here. What's up, guys? We'll make a little. We'll make a, I'm just there, like yeah. <laughs> Get me to the front. <laughs> Give them the phone. <laughs> Well, man, I was—I really wasn't expecting it to to take a whole hour for the interview, but man, I just couldn't. The topics that he he he, I don't know. I find that fascinating. So hopefully you guys well, enjoy. Yeah, I know I sure did. And if you didn't, you know, it's just there. There'll always be next week. Fuck you. Well, exactly. <laughs> We're here every Monday. We're here every um, Saturday. Also, when we have bands now on this feed. We have rich Wednesday. snow here every Wednesday. So you got you got a, a lot of variety here on this feed, man. If you aren't subscribed, what in the fuck are you doing? I know, man. Get your shit hit, hit, together. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that follow button. Whatever they, they call it on whatever you're listening to this podcast on. Yeah, it can't be that hard to figure the fuck out, guys. I mean, come on. Seriously. Unless you're like the 2% of people actually above... Uh, I'm actually looking at our stats right now. <laughs> Hang on. I'm on our anchor page. Look at the stats. I'm going to say, unless you are the 1% of listeners that are 16 above, then you have the excuse. Everyone else, fuck you. Yeah, they're listening to us on AM radio right now. Yeah. They're... Some local channel that plays our show without our permission. Yeah. They're, they're, they're listening to us in like the public library on like a by <laughs> iPhone. They fucking got borrowed for like seven days or something. <laughs> One of those crankable, uh... It's on the fucking phonogram. <laughs> Imagine what Guns N' Roses would sound like, especially this song. <laughs> Our song of the day is scraped. Not scrapped. Scraped. Yeah, scrapped would be two Ps. That's right. You know, that's Either, grammar. Or maybe it is scrapped and Axel just doesn't know how to spell. I don't know. I think Axel's somewhat educated enough to know how to spell. Unless, like... Unless somewhat. Some, some, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, he, I know he probably didn't graduate high school, but he seems like a somewhat <laughs> knowledgeable person. He doesn't seem like a fucking idiot. I wonder how you would write a song if you didn't know how to write. That's interesting. <laughs> Draw it out. Okay. Yeah. I had this idea as a horse. <laughs> but it's like a stick figure horse. Like, yeah, let's make a song out of this. Sure. I would like to see the hieroglyphics he come up with for November rain. <laughs> it's just someone still getting thrown for a cake. That That's always going to be in there regardless. <laughs> that's definitely... <laughs> Thank you.
I just want to put out the layers of vocals. Yeah. In this, in this part, like there's there's the bass. You've got all of your layers covered here, and I believe that's probably Axel. It is actually. I'm looking into it. This is the vocals. They're multi-track several times, especially that intro. So it's basically just layers upon layers of Axel just probably singing different keys. And they huh. just pro tools the shit out of it and put it all together like that. Nice. Oh, So who's uh, who's on the guitar in this one? Do we know for sure? Oh, which reminds me. Hang on. Let me pull out the old album and the booklet. Oh, oh not yeah. that one. Sorry. I forget that you have that. Sorry, I just pulled out User Illusion 1 for some reason. It's there. Uh, well, different album. Damn it. That that was 20 years too late. <laughs> well, shit, we User Illusion could be said it was four or five years too late. Yeah. Uh, do, do, do. Oh, hang on. 86 to 92. We've always been waiting on this band. Oh, here we go. Sorry, I was going. I was looking for the lyrics. No, we got to look for the... Okay. Um, so, Scrape, written by Axl Rose. Um, Buckethead actually has a writing credit on this. Oh. Because it says Brian Carroll is his last name there. And then uh, Karen Costanzo also has got a writing credit. Um, guitars. Buckethead, Ron Thal, and Robin Fink. Oh. Brain on the drums. Mr. Stinson on the bass. Dizzy and Chris Pittman on keyboards. Um, so it's a it's a chopped together mesh of the three takes. Yeah, and then um, Ron Fall and Buckethead on the guitar solos as well. Okay, let's get back in. Man, I gotta say, this is probably an impossible song to replicate live. It is. I mean, I'm looking at like the stats too. I even pulled up on setlist.fm. It's only been played twelve times, and the couple times I like we've heard it live, it it is very tough, especially that intro. Yeah, I remember how they used to do it? I think they would have like the those vocals, like the uh 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 whatever, and I guess they have Axel singing and have like maybe. Whoever was on backup, I guess, like they had like Ron and um, maybe Ford or something doing a backup on the same time doing it. But yeah, that's why, like, if it probably wasn't played live a lot, just because it would probably kill Axel's voice. Uh, yeah, Rick wanted me to point out, by the way, that he was there for one of those. Oh, so hang on, let's see. Yeah, because it did play it a few times in, in Canada on the, oh. on the like, 2010 Canadian tour. Nice. Um, yeah, because it was first played in Osaka, then at the Tokyo Dome show, which was, that Tokyo Dome was like the longest show up to that point in GNR history. Well, that gets it a five star right there. We, As we all know, anything that happens in the Tokyo Dome is automatically five star. Oh, yeah. Is Dave Meltzer reading concerts now? <laughs> Shit, he, he ran out of wrestling? <laughs>
Buckethead right there. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, there's a Buckethead song. So has anybody questioned why the song is called Scraped yet? I don't know. I guess I couldn't think of a fucking name for it. Sorry. Yeah, I guess there's like, it was the best thing they could come up with and that was it, I guess. Because <laughs> this was like one of the tracks that no one fucking knew about leading up to the release of Chidem. Like a lot of the stuff already was like fucking leaked beforehand. This no one knew about until I think... Like yeah, the 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 um, mid the anti quiet leaks whatever when the whole album leaked literally in the middle of oh eight oh yeah right before it came out yeah they don't know about this and probably until those leaks because this was not well known but man that leak, was there I mean the leak the leaking shit in today's day and age is definitely a necessity because let's be real they're not gonna put any fucking thing out now but back then. Like that anti quiet leak would kind of does that not kind of just like ruin it a little bit that there was nothing left that you hadn't heard yet? Yeah, I mean, like if you look at like the history of the leaks and the build up, I mean, like '06 was like a notorious year for all the leaks and stuff. Um, like a lot of the tracks on the album were already leaked. There was like stuff from 2000, all this shit. But that pretty much just put the nail in the coffin. I mean, like, the dude got away with it because, like, there was no proof that this album was supposed to release that year, so... Yeah. Or ever. I'm yeah, sure. and so he got away, I think, with, like, a lighter sentence or something. Like, nothing. Is that Squirrel? I believe so, yeah. Was that the guy's name? Okay. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that was well, a different leak. I think it was the same guy, I'm pretty sure. Someone someone can let us know that we're probably fucking yeah. wrong or whatever. Who knows, but... Or uh, or we'll look it up out of curiosity. You know, I was gonna say, sp- speaking of Mister Squirrel, I think um, the ladies from Nothing Lasts Forever recently interviewed him on their podcast oh. a few weeks ago. Yeah, so I'd say definitely check that out. It's a nice long. I think it was a it was like a two hour interview they did with him. Oh, nice. All right, get some guitars. Get that guitar on. solo that was and uh we still got about another minute of song left so i'm gonna hit play one more time Alrighty.
badass outro that we get on. Yeah, that's another like outro solo sounds like there. Yeah. That's it. That's scraped, man. Scraped. It's in the history books. Yes. We did scrape. So. We did it. And that, yeah, track number eight of Chinese Democracy, that's actually, I think, the eighth song we've covered off this album so far. Is it? What all have we, we done? We've done Better, Street okay. of Dreams. Um, we've did There Was a Time, Catcher in the Rye. Uh, we just did Scraped. Uh, Sorry, uh, Madagascar, and Prostitute. I forgot about Madagascar, but you're right. We, yeah. We're almost done. How many do we have left? Like three? No, that's... Well, this is, what, number eight, I think. We're a little over halfway through the album now. We got now. Chinese Democracy. We have we Shacklers. 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 Um, have we done... Yeah, we done Street of Dreams. Um, yeah. If if the World, Riyadh. If the World, Riyadh. IRS. And I think okay. this I love. Yeah, we hadn't done this all up. Okay, so yeah. we, we, we still got plenty of Chinese democracy. We still got at least five tracks. I love that fucking album. So oh, I'm dude, really it excited. is a very underrated piece of art. And I will say that until I'm blue in the face. Oh, yeah. So going on to that, let's uh, give our final thoughts on Scraped. Mm-hmm. You want me to go first? You want to go first? I'll, um, I'll go first on this one. This is like the for something that like no one, like no like fans knew about. It's not a bad song. I mean, still don't. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like it, it's it's not a terrible song. Is it like the best song on the album? No, but um, it, it's still really good. Well, I you know this is one I would always kind of like skip through sometimes beforehand, but like it, it does grow on you over it over does. time for sure. Like and it's just a good good uh, fun straightforward rock song. It's there definitely with the you know new metal industrial sort of vibes in there. Especially this is like a it's a totally a buckethead song. There's like this and like like Shacklers is a pretty much like a fucking huge like a buckethead song through and through on this album. Like this these two for sure are like the ones you can say like Buckethead had a hand in like really creating these ones. Oh, and yeah. it really shows, man. Tar work all like insane. Everything just flows, it worked. I don't know the lyrics to me basically sound like would belong in a fucking Nike commercial. <laughs> like Maybe you just imagine like you can just imagine Colin Kaepernick running through the streets or something to the song. <laughs> just the lyrics, like, nothing's impossible. I'm unstoppable. You know, like, those, like... Maybe that was the idea. I was like, well, we'll try to put this on the record, and then if we don't come up with anything better, we'll sell it for a fucking Nike commercial. Maybe yeah, they should have put this in the, the Harley Davidson commercial. It's not fucking better. I know, that was... <laughs> yeah, that didn't make no sense to me either. Yeah, I don't know. But, I guess... It, it maybe it still kind of worked with the theme of that commercial and everything too, but still, this would have been interesting. I think it's either that or this was just Axl Rose's gateway into becoming like the Tony, like a rock and roll Tony Robbins, and just play <laughs> this as like his like self help motivational style thing. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> if I can do it, you can too. Don't try and stop us now. I refuse. God damn. <laughs> Could you imagine Axel Rose on that glider? What's that? What's that other? Nah, you know what I'm talking about. The 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 
the workout people that are trying to encourage you. Oh, he's like fucking he's like a CrossFit dude or something. <laughs> <laughs> Axel Rose just preaches about CrossFit. Oh man. Yeah, uh, dude, I wake up at six AM for this shit. No one gives a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. CrossFit games? Oh, that's my shit. Fuck uh, you. We get it. You do CrossFit. What's your star rating on this? Um, it it's tough because it's like I, this song has grown over time for me. Like, like I said before, like you know, at first it was it was one probably you'd skip. It was like the the weak link of this album. But now, really, um, you know, listening to this album fucking a million more times, and actually listening to the song a lot more as well. It's it's solid. Is it not the really the best song on this album? But it's not a terrible song. So it, it's like right under a four for me. I'm gonna go three point seven five out of five on this one. Yeah, I'm about the same realm. Uh, it does grow on you over time. Mm-hmm. That 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 much is true. I do agree that much. And but um, for the 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 for the very very most part, um, when you first listen to it, it's like you don't doesn't really leave a lasting impression. Kind of like mm-hmm. if the world when you're listening to the album from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, if you when you single it out and you listen to it like today when we were listening to it for the purpose of analysis, I'm hearing a few things I never noticed before, and it's layered so much like every other song on this fucking album that that's uh, you find some interesting shit the more you listen to it. So I think I'm in the same boat. So I'm gonna go like right in the middle and give it a three and a half. All right. Yeah, I feel like in the more in the ebb of flow of things, or like if you listen to this album from like start to finish, maybe it doesn't really fit in well if you're. Like, it's sort of in the flow of things. This would have been good for, like, maybe Chinese Democracy 2 or 3 if those fucking things ever happened. Yeah. That's how I feel. This was probably just, like, I don't know, I guess thrown in there, maybe. I mean, look at what, like, songs like Perhaps, though, and Hard School, mm-hmm. they got cut completely. Yeah. Like, they had to be, they had to be planning something. Yeah, something. They had, fuck, at least 30, 40 songs. They could have made three albums out of those work on them even you make another yeah. album out of it and scrap some of the other ones and i think we learned by the leaks that came out that this album was ready in 2001 there's no excuse in 2000 it, yeah 2000 2001 even by 02 if it was released like right at the end of that like north american tour and then they would go into whole more worldwide shit and whatever but yeah alas that's something for another um uh mm, alternate dimension multiverse <laughs> thing um yeah sorry i've been watching too much marvel so i'm all about the multiverse now <laughs> well let's uh get into uh spinning the old wheel of room give us some good wheel fucking better because we can't follow scraped with no goddamn bullshit it's gonna be a tough song you watch too much, too fast. Too much, too fast. Well, at least it's another Guns N' Roses song. Oh, really? Is this like an older song? or? Yeah, it's way... Uh, this is. We're going from Chinese Democracy released material to unreleased material from the old band. I think this is from the Rumbo Tapes. Oh, shit. So we went from 08 to like 86. Don't quote me on it. I'm not 100% sure that that's where it's from. But we'll find out by next week when we listen to Too Much Too Fast by Guns N' Roses. Be sure to head over to GN Extra where something's probably going to happen. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll probably find another music video to watch or we'll just talk about shit. Yeah, you know what. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> until next time, I'm Dustin Bone. And I'm Chris Caputo. We'll see you here next Monday for another edition of Guns and Radio.